Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday. It's January the 18th, and it is National Winnie the Pooh Day. Yeah, that's real. I typed in January 18th, and that's what came up. It's Winnie the Pooh Day, I guess, celebrating the birth or the uh, creation of the lovable bear, Winnie the Pooh. I actually like Winnie the Pooh with uh, Pano Night Visions on and like an AR-15. I've seen a couple of memes like that. Winnie the Pooh may be making a comeback. Today, we're going to be talking about a little things that may be familiar. COVID vaccine mandates, malfeasance of our senior officers mistreating those who are in the uniform. And we're going to be talking to John Frankman. You guys are going to really enjoy this. Super interesting guy. And also a man who put his faith up front. And it turns out that just like so many others, and like many of you, it uh, it was non-negotiable. I talked the other day about how this country is a Christian nation at heart. You can be another faith. The Christian nation up front piece seems to be lacking, except when it comes up against that hard wall of people who are not willing to compromise. So we'll talk about some folks that are not willing to compromise, people that jumped in and started supporting us right away. Today's podcast is sponsored by Patriot Coolers. Here's mine. Yeah. This is the 19 ounce in black. I like it. it has ghost letters on the handles. It says Patriot right on the bottom. And if you go to the flip over and as you're cleaning it, you'll always see there are 50 stars, 50 bright spots, 50 laboratories for freedom if we live in the federalist system that we are supposed to. Mm. Uh, check out patriotcoolers.com. Again, patriotcoolers.com. You can find them on social media at Patriot Coolers. They're both on X and on True Social, the two places I am most prominent. I know they're also on Instagram, but I hate Instagram. Just like I hate all meta products, check out Patriot Coolers. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Promo code Kyle will save you 10%. And you guys can get into any number of, of their outstanding products that say Patriot, right on the front. That's their name. That's their brand. And you are their market. Patriots who love this country. Now, we're going to be talking to a Patriot, so you guys can look forward to that. Again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, saves you 10%. And if you spend 50 bucks or more, you're going to get free shipping. Easy day, easy stuff. Let's do one more up front before we get started. Uh, how about my friends at Catholic Vote? I'm going to be hanging out with them today. CatholicVote.org. You guys know how to get there. Go to CatholicVote.org, www.CatholicVote.org. It's going to land you right here on this page which shows you all kinds of things like someone praying the rosary, someone who loves uh, babies and is getting an ultrasound, some fireworks for American freedom. They are America's top Catholic advocacy group. They are advocating and in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. You can get The Loop, which is a great email service. You don't have to be Catholic. It doesn't even try to preach at you. All it's saying is, hey, do you want to know what's going on in this world? If you don't know, you're going to be misinformed. And if you're not informed, you're going to make bad decisions, including at the ballot box, catholicvote.org out there, as a nonprofit supporting the Kyle Seraphin Show, we really appreciate them. So you guys can support them as well. All right. Without any further ado, let's have a really cool conversation. A really neat guy. He looks kind of big, though. What do you think? Let's talk to John Franklin. He is a former Green Beret. He is a former seminarian. 
He could have been Catholic of the Year in 2023 if people knew. Could have been in the running with me and Mark Alp. I think we're going to have a fun chat. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about the Army. Talk about trannies, probably. We're going to get into it. Let's get real started right now. John, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, Kyle. All right. So eventually we're going to tell people about this uh, this new military declaration for accountability, which you are one of the signatories to. I just want to tease that out there up front, but let's get started with who you are as a person. We can already see from the photos behind you, and maybe I tease it out to the audience. Uh, tell me where you grew up, where you're from. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I was born in Los Angeles, California, um, and moved around a good bit. And parents, unfortunately, split up when I was six, like many people, divorced at nine. And I ended up just moving around a ton. So a different school every year since about, um, I don't know, maybe third grade or something like that. Uh, and was raised generally Protestant. Um, my mom was raised Catholic, left the church when she was a teen. And dad was pretty faithful, took me to church on a weekly basis. So at the age of 12, I lived with him in California. He took me to a Presbyterian church weekly and ended up just wanting to make that more part of my life. So when I went back to live with my mom, Catholic church nearby, so was able to start going to mass. I was also transferred to a Catholic high school because my mom did not like the public school I was going into, maybe not doing the best in school, things like that. So starting going to Catholic school, loved everything the religion teacher was teaching, going to mass. And even though I had, I was just Episcopal right before, or going to an Episcopalian church, there was some spiritual element to the Catholic faith that I had not experienced anywhere else. And it was especially powerful looking back because that church had plenty of liturgical abuse. So for those who aren't Catholic, that means that the priest isn't doing what he should be doing in the liturgy. And there's a certain reverence that you're supposed to give to God. So when Catholics come to mass, the purpose of it is to to, there's like four ends, but it's to adore God, to give him thanksgiving, to ask for atonement for your sins, and then ask for petitions. But the glorifying God part can be diminished with some of this liturgical abuse when, when priests aren't doing what we believe was the mass liturgy handed on from Jesus Christ and passed on to the apostles. So even though I went through that with the priest leaving, the priesthood eventually, um, there's just that spiritual element. So I became Catholic, and I soon started thinking about the priesthood after when a priest at high school came and said, I was a student here, so maybe one day one of y'all will be a priest like me. And then it was just classic Ignatian kind of discernment, St. Ignatius of Loyola, fantastic saints. I just did an eight-day Ignatian retreat, which is fantastic. But he said that God leads you through peace, through joy, consolation. The devil leads you through um, just fear, anxiety. So just me being 15, hearing about that, the peace about bringing God to people, people to God, and just making that part of your life and identity. But then as a 15-year-old boy thinking, man, I'll never get married. Other things 15-year-old, <laughs> other things 15-year-olds are thinking about. <laughs> so, you know, not going to do that either. Um, yeah, it's a tough burden to throw on though too as a 15-year-old. Oh, sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. And just never being Catholic and just thinking that was the automatic thing and that I want to get married so bad. But hey, I'm still single 35. So I don't know what, what's going on. But anyway, so I ended up becoming Catholic. Um and not really understanding the Catholic faith super well, because the RCIA program, which is Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, that's the program that Catholics do in order to become Catholic, wasn't the most solid, like many of them, unfortunately, in the church today. So ended up going to, I knew I wanted to go in the military as early as high school. I wanted to use the gifts God gave me in order to serve the greater good. And I thought with just kind of physical capabilities, leadership capabilities, love of country, willingness to do dangerous things, leadership, that that was kind of the route I wanted to explore. And 9-11 happened. I was living in Alexandria, Virginia. My stepdad, he was stationed at Fort Belvoir. So it was very personal to me. And it was extremely scary to see that smoke coming from the from the Pentagon and just to get on to Fort Belvoir right after. I mean, it was extremely real. 
um, very intense. So at any rate, ended up going through Wheaton College, did ROTC, studied chemical physics, and it's a Protestant evangelical school. So it was really good for me to defend my faith, to have to read Scott Hahn books, um, Patrick uh, Madrid books to kind of defend and through that love the church more and that kind of desire or thought of the priesthood continued to develop. So commissioned in the army in 2011 and put in for the chaplain candidate uh, program. So went to seminary for four years, a fantastic experience that was with the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., with the understanding that I would join the military to serve as a chaplain. So priesthood is first. That's your big vocation, what God calls you to. Uh, where he puts you within his mystical body to serve him. And just through that whole experience, it's fantastic. You're growing in prayer. You're studying philosophy for two years, studying theology for two years. Recently finished up my theological studies and got my master's in December um, in systematic theology. But it was just a fantastic experience. But at the end of the day, through just kind of prayer, discernment, um, doing a great so a lot of people have heard of the Exodus 90 program. Um, maybe some people who are not necessarily Catholic wouldn't have heard of it, but it's a 90-day period of prayer and fasting. And it was started by Father Brian Dorr, who was a vice rector of the seminary at the time. So I was very blessed to do that program with him before it just exploded and it was app for everybody because um, he was in the seminary. And when I told him, hey, I'm not sure what I'm doing, brought me in, had me do that. And it was just a very peaceful, joyful kind of experience discerning out. And I found out Easter Monday that I was branched active duty infantry. And <laughs> I thought I was going to get stuck in reserves or something like that. I had even thought, oh man, I'm 27. I'm so old. How am I going to uh, you know, get through ranger school, things like that. But I obviously did that and then uh, the Q course, but thought saw it as God loves me, he's blessing me, but he wants to challenge me. So ended up going through, yeah, got branched infantry. So I bullock, ranger school, uh, Ranger school definitely took a bit longer. Um, so usually it's two months and I guess I'll get into the training a little bit. So, because well, uh, I got, I got a question here. You you're in seminary, you've decided, and then you've done this, this retreat, and then you've got orders to go infantry as not a priest. Right? So, so I did the, I did the retreat actually, uh, summer this last summer. So I oh, got out of the army well, July 1st and I did yeah. an eight day silent Ignatian retreat. Um, just kind of furthering my love for Ignatius, but it was just kind of doing this this prayer throughout the seminary. And a, a lot. So, Catholic seminary, it's not just you go into class. You're living there. You're praying. I think we added it up. It's like three hours a day because you're praying the Psalms. You're praying the liturgy, of the hours. Might be an hour of your day. You're going to mass, half hour, forty five minutes. You're praying the rosary. You're doing a mental, a holy hour, which is mental prayer, which is you talking to God, God talking to you, reading spiritual books. So it is just an atmosphere to just soak up and understand and know God personally. And that is so key right now to the problems that we're facing. I mean, our politicians aren't going to fix this. We might not even be supposed to fix it. You know, it yeah. might just be God allowing this in order to purify us because the spiritual order is more important. So we're supposed to fight. We're supposed to be faithful. And it's kind of in discernment, in prayer, understanding what is God's will for you specifically? How does he want you to integrate yourself into society, starting at the lowest level, individually, family, and beyond. But what does he want you to do? Um, so, so yeah, kind of getting back, back to your point. So I discerned out, and when I knew I was going to leave the seminary, I had to let the Army know that, hey, I need to pay back my ROTC scholarship. I'm not going to be a priest, so you have to put me into a different branch. And that, those were the Obama years, so I thought I was going to get reserves or something stupid. 
I had actually put infantry, armor, and ordnance as my top three choices, thinking, okay, if I get ordnance, let's just try EOD or something like that. So just thinking combat arms. And uh, even though I tried to switch it to armor because I was a little nervous about ranger school, still got infantry, so saw it as God, still wanting to challenge me. So did got out of the seminary in the uh, September of, uh, or sorry, spring of 2015, and then started my army career in the fall. Got it. All right, let me, let me uh, have you kind of give my audience a real reflection on this sort of concept. Combat arms, seminary, and priesthood. Where's the overlap in there? Because I, I think there is one. I think there's a lot, but I'm curious what you saw and how you saw those two as being maybe, you know, different sides of the same coin or how you saw it. Yeah, ultimately, you're trying to glorify God. And that's kind of the ultimate end in this world is the glorification of God and the salvation of souls. And you're, you're moving towards a certain purpose. And it's a different fraternity, but they're both very strong fraternities. The fraternity of seminarians where you're with a bunch of dudes who are planning on being celibate too, and you're hanging out. And you know when you're willing to give that up, if you're just a normal red-blooded American or, or, or man, uh, that's a lot to give up to decide you're not going to have a family or to discern that. So you bond extremely tight. And having that worldview, that Catholic worldview so tight, really helps you focus and go to a certain purpose. Um, and you are enduring hardship and suffering. So I think that there's challenges and there's there's definitely an accepting of the cross. I think I told some guys in ranger school about some of the sacrifices I made in seminary or during Exodus 90, and they th said, oh, you know, ranger school would be nothing, or, you know, a little joke joke about that. That's totally not the case. I think I was actually in ranger school, and I was thinking, man, there's way worse things than celibacy. Holy cow. <laughs> um, well, starvation, right? And but care. yeah, I, I think the fraternity, that you're working for a certain purpose, that you are sacrificing of yourself. And you're using a lot of different gifts. You have to have a lot of kind of those soft skills. So there's definitely technical skills that you have to have. I think for infantry, even though they're there, a lot of them are boiled down more towards a common sense, kind of active communication, getting along with people. Similar, I think, with the priesthood, you have to have that. Certainly, it's different technical skills, but the soft skills that you have carry over extremely well. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so you, you, you end up getting uh, infantry. And did you have a path? Did you have a, a, uh, a special forces contract that was part of that? Or they just said, you're going to the infantry and then we'll see what happens. I was told regular army infantry. And then I worked it out with them what duty station I had. So I was able to get Fort Carson. Um, but I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, forever Fort Benning. Forget what, um, you know, changing Thanks. names for racist generals. Sorry, you're making me want to be more. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know that it, I know that it changed only because you told me again, but I forget and it'll always be Fort Benning. Yeah, for sure. Um, but at any rate, went to Fort Benning, did 16 week infantry basic officer leadership course. And for those who aren't familiar with the concept of the infantry, that's where you're planning to, that's what you think of when you think of the military. That's just the ground force within 300 meters. That's what you have to employ in order to occupy land to uh, destroy, close with, and destroy the enemy. So you're, you're, beginning job as an infantry officer is being a platoon leader and you can be emptoed or given up to 40 soldiers underneath you. So you're thinking a lot of these young 22 dudes get through college, boom, you know, there's your infantry platoon. Uh, so you, you kind of work up the maneuver. So you do kind of like your basic skills of rifle marksmanship, um, your individual schools, moving up to like team live fire exercises, squad platoon, and then you're doing uh, more kind of complex uh, exercises, maybe 
in uh, getting in as well armor assets or things, sums like that. So kind of combined arms kind of thing. So um, that was a, that was a good school, very interesting. And then Ranger School is just school of hard knocks where it's just repetitions and you don't sleep much, you don't eat much. Um, there's three different phases, and you know I'll eat some humble pie and say there's some things that I was not good at that I needed to improve on and learn from. So it's two months if you don't recycle. A lot of people recycle. Um, but most people don't take five months, but it took me five months. I got through bending phase, fine mountain phase. I was injured halfway through. It was just like four or five days in my legs, maybe if they're like this big, you know, were swollen, maybe like an inch or two larger. And I was diagnosed with stress fractures in both my shins. Told I could try to finish up. So I wanted to try to finish up to see if I could at least recycle into the next phase. Didn't get a go. Most of the platoon didn't get a go. You, you pass or fail together as a platoon. You know, you guys have to, the guys have to gel well together. And if it's your first phase through, you might just get two looks to get a go. If you're a recycle, they'll try to front load you, give you the easier options to kind of get, get ahead. I mean, I had an easy option when I got done with, uh, when I went into the mountain phase, they gave me platoon leader planning, which is great. Everybody's a little more fresh. Awesome. But at any rate, it was a great experience. And let's say you had 26 days of patrolling if you, made it right through. Well, I had 46 days of patrolling and that's, you, you learn it. You, you just absorb it. It's fantastic. So as much as it sucks, it is a good school where you really learn a lot about yourself, what you can do. I mean, you're, it's maybe two hours of sleep a night and you're having like two meals a day, two MREs a day. And in some phases it's the MRE sleep and an MRE. And you got to imagine if your stomachs are shrinking that much, it's hard to fill yourself up, but then you're just so hungry after. And we joke that was a pleasure sandwich. And as far as like the difficulty of military training, if you don't understand what it's like to like sweat ammonia because you're burning muscle, because you just don't have anything left or to fall asleep while walking. I mean, you haven't physically pushed yourself. And that's just something that I think every single person experienced in ranger school at some point in time. So yeah, Ranger School, Airborne School, yeah. <laughs> I, I've done a little bit of that. I've done the Rabdo. Uh, I've oh wow. I have no love for it, but yeah, you're right. You find out where your limits are, and uh, and those are important because if you don't know where your limits sure. are, it can be really lethal in a in a downrange environment. Obviously. Yep. So okay, so you wrap Ranger School. That that sounds grueling, by the way, to do five instead of two. <laughs> sounds like you got the full both barrels of the Ranger School experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and then what next? Where does it, where does that lead you to? So then airborne school, then went to Fort Carson. And when I was at Fort Carson, um, I was about to promote to captain just because it was kind of weird coming from seminary as a chaplain candidate into active duty. So I was a first Lieutenant through my training that gave me a very shortened period of time at my first duty station. So quickly made the decision to try out for special forces. Part of it was knowing other green Berets through ranger school thinking, man, these guys are really cool, man. These bat boys are really uptight or that refers to ranger battalion. Yeah, I was going to say break break down the difference for people. So people okay. the word ranger there uh some people know it's like tab or scroll, uh but if you don't know what that means, maybe tell people what that means. So ranger can refer to th two things. It can refer to the school or can refer to ranger regiment. Now ranger regiment is an elite infantry unit. You have three ranger battalions and they are just they are an elite infantry unit. Now, special forces are special. We do special missions. We work by, with, and through partner forces. The way we're structured and organized, there's five different special forces groups that focus on the different continental commands. They do so so they can focus in different regions. So my region was Central and South America. That's why I had to learn Spanish. So 
unlike every other special operations unit, we have to learn the language uh, of the people. And I mean, CA, PSYOP, yes, they learn the language. But um, so with Rangers specifically, you have the unit. And to go to the unit as an officer, you have to be Ranger qualified. Now, Ranger school is the two month or longer school that you have to go to uh, in order to be in Ranger regiment if you are a sergeant and above or if you are an officer. Now, you can go straight in as a Ranger enlisted to Ranger regiment and you go through RASP or Ranger assessment selection program, which they just beat the crap out of you. And then when you get to Ranger regiment, you still suck because you don't have a Ranger tab. So you have to then go to Ranger school. And they're just an elite infantry unit. I mean, they go, they do a lot of stuff with Delta, um, extremely talented, just meat eating people. Um, and it's just a very aggressive kind of, I think, atmosphere environment, very solid. Um, I, th I think I saw some funny meme about them getting up at six o'clock, working out, other things like that, working out again, and then SF sleeping until noon, you know, drinking, hanging out, whatever. But we, we very much in special forces, we work by within through partner forces. So they're much more unilateral kind of action. And us is working with the partner force in order to be a force multiplier. So our main, since we're just kind of getting into it, special forces focuses on unconventional warfare, which are activities taken to coerce, disrupt or overthrow an occupying power or government. And that's through using a resistance force. Um, it's through using an underground government. Um, so we would essentially infiltrate into another country, work with the resistance forces to whatever the occupying power or government are to overthrow them. We do it in seven phases and we'd focus on it specifically in that country. And that takes a lot of kind of specialized skills and training. Um, that's our culminating exercise, actually. At the end of special forces qualification course, we have what's called Robin Sage, which is a uh, maybe three, four weeks kind of total, but maybe you're in the state of North Carolina and you're pretending you're overthrowing or getting rid of Virginia or something like that. So working with resistance forces, it might just be like college students that come out, get paid for a little bit, get some training, um, running operations. And it's just, you know, every three days they jump to another month and another month. So you can get all the phases, but it's just, it's such great, great training. And they base everything that happens off of real life experiences, things that have happened to other Green Berets in different countries. So just amazing uh, training. Let me let me throw a an experience I had. A buddy of mine was a uh, was a SEER instructor for the Air Force, and they did a joint exercise with these guys. Uh, some of them were SF, and some of them were were Rangers. And so they set them out, and they laid out the course. They gave them the ground rules, whatever it was. You got to go from point A. You got to get to point B. You have a time limit. You know, not a lot of rules. Otherwise, sort of just solve the problem in the best way that makes sense to you, based on your training and your experience, and so on. And so uh, my buddy, he said he looked at the map. He looked at who he's going after, and he was, uh, you know, assessed to to go after the Ranger group. And there was a dozen of these guys, whatever they were doing this thing. And it was, I think, it was like an Air Force versus Army game. They were playing back and forth. So they go to this thing. He looks at the map. He goes, "Okay, well, the the absolute hardest way to get here would be through all of that garbage, brambles, and briars, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm just going to post up on the other end of it, and we're going to just catch them when they come sneaking out of the thing because they're going to go. Well, that's the hardest way to get there. Nobody's going to go block it. Nobody will think it. But if you understand how rangers think, then that's where you're going to be. So sure enough, those guys come out and they're cut it and they're bleeding and they're all jacked up and you know they're all destroyed. And uh, and then the guys who were uh, looking for the SF guys basically started watching buses because uh, the possibility of catching a civilian bus on the street was kind of the move that they came that's up with. I like it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Just awesome. thinking outside differently. You know, one of them is like you said, go through a brick wall for you. If you told them which wall, 
they'd ask you if there's another one behind it so they know if they have to run faster kind of thing and then the other guys are looking like hey do we should we be you know finding the guy who uh, lays brick and maybe put some soft wall for us or should we have somebody dismantle this wall before we get there or some other kind of options just really thinking outside the box so uh and i've got a number of buddies my last partner was a was a green beret in the fbi of all things and uh and the only reason that i think because like so many people that work in unconventional warfare he probably would have been like a you know piss off i'm not going to get the shot he just knew the army wouldn't let him deploy and he just mm -hmm. that's all he wanted to do with his life so interesting yeah he did it voluntarily and i think there were some people that did that i don't have any hard feelings against those types but curious as you were going through so you you've, you've got this sort of like background you've got this uh one side training and then you pass through what you go off to the q course yeah so i get to uh fourth infantry division fort carson go to selection three weeks and not to spend too much time on training so that's just kind of three weeks you get about 35 percent out at the end of it you get gate week so ruck marches runs physical activities iq tests personality tests uh, and then you have land nav and then you have team week carrying more weight than you thought possible. And I think we had, we were eating like four or five MREs, you know, a day and still dropped like 20 pounds, something stupid like that. And it's just, it's pretty awful, but they're really just trying to assess you, not trying to necessarily play stupid games. So get through that, go to the qualification course. That's a couple of years already kind of went through, I guess the more interesting training, which is Robin Sage also have to go through SEER and obviously that's pretty intense stuff. That's survival, evasion, resistance, and escape for anyone who is not familiar, which they make pilot special operations folks and anyone who has a higher likelihood of being caught behind enemy lines or having to survive, they make them go through that school and get done with that and go to military freefall at the end of the qualification course at the end of language. So six months of language training and military freefall happened in March of 2020. Now, what else was happening then? <laughs> you know, COVID. So I wasn't that worried about uh, this disease when I'm jumping out of planes at uh, 14,000 feet. That was definitely kind of the more scary thing for me. Uh, but I get done with that. I go back to Fort Bragg. We're kind of being held a bit longer because we can't PCS or move to our duty stations immediately because of the different restrictions that the military is placing on service members because we're not sure how deadly this disease is. So eventually get down to 7 Special Forces Group, uh, June of 2020, and that's when all the fun begins. Now, as you're going through some of this stuff, you just mentioned that that really critical time frame in early 2020. You're a pretty sharp guy. You're looking at the world. You're, you're focused on training. But some of the stuff that you're seeing externally, what were you thinking about what we were hearing? What were you assessing in real time as the information came in? Just kind of curious what your thoughts were, if you can put yourself back there. I thought, what is it that we can actually help? Whether it's dangerous or not, what can we necessarily do? that there's certain things that are worse than death. Um, and sure, maybe it's like a cold-like thing. China is obviously covering a lot of stuff up. I thought it was pretty wild when people are were saying that it came from a bat or some kind of a weird thing in the forest. And we know that there's this lab, the Wuhan coronavirus lab, <laughs> you know, named after it, right? So that's pretty, pretty uh, interesting to me. And it really hit home when I got back to Fort Bragg and people, the church was closed down. The, the Bishop of Raleigh said, no mass, no confession, unless you're near death. And that was just insane. And to see everything else that was opened up, Home Depot, other stores, grocery stores, liquor stores, it, it's just, it's absolute insanity. 
And then to see other people being extremely nervous or worried about it. And I had some buddies who were kind of nervous because they said they were told that in their training, if they get COVID, if they drop two cycles, then they're out. So I can, I can understand, okay, you're worried about getting sick. Um, but they were still nervous if I went to mass or was around them. So it was just kind of this, this sort of insanity. And when I saw that religion was being slighted, that's when I thought there's, there's something seriously wrong going on. And just trying to think through how effective could this mask be? How stupid is that kind of a mask thing? What's the, who's actually getting sick right now? So pretty, I think the 2020 range, we kind of knew that older people, fat people, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you know, it's just like, sorry, you're not taking yourself, man. You know, yeah. you're, you're more susceptible, but if you're a young, healthy dude, you're probably going to be pretty, pretty okay. And to just shut down stuff and to shut down the churches. And that really pissed me off. I mean, I think one of the stories I was most frustrated with as far as the Catholic side of the house, I usually prefer going to Latin mass, um, but I go to both, both forms. I don't go to, you know, not to get, I don't go to the SSPX. Um, that's just, you know, my personal choice, but love the traditional Latin mass. Uh, people who are not Catholic are like, what the heck are you talking about? So I'll, right. I'll try they, to break. They know who they're following right now. So by listening to me, they've got a little taste of this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. So it was pretty wild that, um, so I, I was dating this chick. We were going to a different, we usually go to Latin mass, but because I'm flying out on a Sunday, we have to go Saturday night, go Saturday night. Don't wear a mask going in, get chased down by ushers. And I like have to ask the priest, Hey father, what's the rule for, for masking? Okay. Uh, I noticed that you had this many candles on the altar and you didn't have a crucifix and this dude wasn't wearing a stole. So this kind of human made up BS rule, you're fine enforcing and chasing people down, but here's these religious rules that God, not directly, but through the church is essentially telling you, and you're, you're kind of not following that. So what does that say? And actions speak louder than words. So it was just incredibly sad to see so many bishops fail us, so many priests kind of fail us. And great, great term, Father Nolan, WTF, where's the faith? <laughs> you just have to ask, where's the faith? And it just wasn't there. I, I had this uh, this moment, uh, very similarly, highly frustrated at that time. I was living outside of D.C., so same part of the mm -hmm. country, at least on the East Coast. And uh, and my wife was considering converting to Catholicism, having been raised with no religion at all. And I was born as a Catholic, and so it was nothing new to me, but I, we were coming back to the church in many ways. And, I, and I'm going to this church, and I found the most austere one that I could find, and it was a traditional cruciform build, and it was absolutely gorgeous. And they had a great cry room, which was really good. That was big because we had little kids. And we're going to this, uh, we're going to this mass, and we're regularly showing up. And then suddenly the COVID strikes, and then they go, every other pew has to be blocked off. Only one family can be in the cry room at a time, and like you can't self-assess your own risk. And they were essentially driving people away and turning people away at the doors that you couldn't come in. And the thing that hit me, and maybe this is because I was a Latin scholar when I was a kid, but I was very frustrated to think that the early Christians in Rome would have died rather than give up their, their mass. That was an option for them. It was like, uh, would you like to show up? Uh, going, they would rather celebrate mass down with the petulant or the pestilent corpses and the rotting sort of debris of, of dead people in the catacombs rather than give up what they were doing. And these yep. people were scared of like a cold and they were wearing essentially a chain link fence to stop mosquitoes 
because anybody who's ever been through the sea Bernie and the, the chemical warfare understanding of like what is out there, or like what these basic things mean. If you've ever done any biological warfare training or if you've ever been around medics, you know what does and doesn't work and what people do and do not get sick from. And those masks were absurd. I mean, people were wearing like bandanas and you're like, oh, that doesn't work. Like, like uh, everything goes through that. Literally everything goes, like, if you can smell a fart through a pair of jeans, I know that you're going to be able to get a virus through the same thing. But what a strange time, right? I mean, we just saw people roll over and give up their faith or give up their practice of their faith, if nothing else. It was absolutely sad. And Catholic Church shouldn't be surprised when folks aren't coming back, if that's the example that the priests are given, bishops are given. I mean, one of the nice things is that the more orthodox priests who do believe their churches did grow, expand. We've seen more people going to Latin mass, but um, not that that's the be all end all. Ultimately it's, you know, glorifying God, praise reverence, serve him by this means, save your soul. I think that that's the better form to get there, but you still can't be weird. You have to like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's it. Let me throw you know? thing at you. Think about this. Think about the recruiting tool that special forces is in the army or that buds is for the Navy or whatever um, to, to drag people who want to aspire to something higher most of whom will fail percentage-wise. And then you think about what happened during the sort of COVID lockdowns, that more people chose to go to a more austere and traditional mass than the ones that were lackadaisical and had mask restrictions and were scared of each other and you know were willing to shut things down and all that. And, and I think that is such an interesting little, just having the military background and having the faith background, that people are not looking like, what's the easiest thing in the world? Who's got the best coffee and the, the nicest narthex to go hang out and have donuts in? People are like, what's going to demand something of me and how do I serve in that way? And how can I challenge myself as a human being? Because being a person is probably not enough for most of us. It's the challenge piece, but it's also, I think, the relational piece, um, relationship with God. And when you're told that you can watch mass online and that there's just kind of this blanket, um, I I don't know what it was uh, with the term of it, but just blanket permission for people to not go during this time, people... Yeah, people just, they miss God. They want to be with God. They want to worship him. And we're just drawn to two challenging things, um, but drawn to a personal relationship with him, which you experience more in a more reverent liturgy. That's how you experience the the good, true, and beautiful, the transcendentals, um, you know, God himself who became incarnate. So it, it's it's totally interesting. And yeah, it shows that making things easier for everybody is not necessarily good for society. And that can take us into so many things with, with technology, with comforts, with, I think liberals are liberals a lot of it because they are just stuck in their universities and schools and have never had to do something difficult. And I think Anthony Eslin wrote some, you know, great article or, or book kind of on it or idea where even in the 1930s, whatever, if you're trying to travel, good chance your car is breaking down. You have to go through some kind of adversity. And the more you're in touch with nature, the more you see kind of God's plan in nature. We believe through Romans 1 that God expresses himself through the created world, through created order where we can understand him. And it's it's dealing with those those hardships, but just seeing how common sense things work. And we're in a society right now where with with basically, let's say you have a car, you can't put sand in the gas tank and think it's going to work. Yet that's what we're doing with our bodies, with our basic functions, with our sexualities. And it's just not good for us. So we need to get outside. We need to do a lot of those practices that the church told us to do, fasting uh, regularly. Now we hear about intermittent fasting, how great it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, well, maybe God knew something that you didn't. So 
that's, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, it's 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 not exactly a new concept, and it was always a way to kind of experience the divine or to purify yourself. And then people do it for the same reason in a secular way. It seems like so. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe there was something to this all along. Yeah. Um, you, you have a very different presentation than a lot of guys. If anybody knows a lot of Green Berets, they're a mixed bag. They're an interesting group. Some are very reverent. I've, I've got friends who are Mormon. I've got friends who are Catholic. I've got some that are totally just scumbags and are out there like running around and, you know, trying to slay chicks wherever they go and every, on every continent kind of thing. Uh, how did you fit into that kind of community of men and, and warriors? I mean, uh, you're not allowed to see my team chat. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I love a spicy meme. I love good jokes that are just, you know, off color. Cause it's funny, man. If it's funny, you have to say it. So I, I think, um, and I'll just be straight up about why I am Catholic wise, whatever, even as an infantry officer too, I think some guys were saying something and I was saying something else. I'm like, Hey, don't get offended at what I say. I won't get offended at what you say. Right. So if I'm talking about religion or talking about other things, so, uh, it was good. I mean, I love my team. It was just fantastic and it was great. And I, I mean, this will get back into the story of sort of what was happening, but I got to seventh group. And I get to my battalion and my battalion is deployed. We were actually the last battalion to experience casualties um, during the Afghan war before the withdrawal. Um, so battalion is deployed. The acting rear battalion commander is a transgender major. And this is an individual who West Point gymnast, like as a, as a Green Beret, as a captain, you know, dude, children, I mean, you know, pray for him, pray for the family. It's, it's a difficult thing, but I was confronted with what do I do about this experience? Um, I'm and, still trying to transition. I guess he, he socially transitioned. He just started dressing differently. Is that essentially what was going on? So I never knew him before. Um, but just kind of with, uh, you know, the hair, um, and just change of name. Um, and, yeah, I <laughs> don't know all the physiology, but uh, but at any rate, you didn't do the crocodile Dundee check to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Swoop, no, <laughs> um, nothing of that nature. But I'm just kind of confronted with what do I do? So I actually called legal assistance to ask what am I legally required to call this individual? And then she got back with me this this lawyer who, if you're listening to this, don't go to your jag about problems. Your jags work for your commanders. Go to legal assistance. Let them help you. Uh, so went to legal assistance and she got back with me like a week later and said, Hey, I reached out, got to the level of the Pentagon. I'm like, Whoa. So this is obviously some kind of touchy thing and asked, do you know, this person's going to be a commander? I'm not sure. was told you can call that person by rank and last name that goes in accordance with this army regulation. However, the individual will probably know what you're doing and just be careful to not say anything negative, you know, behind this person's back or whatever, if that comes up. And so I just did, yes, major such and such, no major such and such. How are you major such and such? It was very awkward in conversations with other people about him because it's like, yes, I was talking to major such and such and major such and such said to move major such and such things. But that's the game I tried to do. And that actually put me for sure in the company I went into because he ended up taking Alpha. I went to Bravo. I mean, it's it's kind of a mess. Like the sergeant majors were supposed to go to different companies too because they were having trouble finding which sergeant major would work with him. And the one I got, who I ended up not really getting along with super well, was not really willing to work with this individual either. Um, but that got me to my team, which was great. Very mixed bag personalities. Like SF dudes are a lot more libertarian. You got some Christian there, but they'd probably politically be libertarian, but just let them, leave me alone, do whatever you want to do morally, whatever. And uh, just got kind of an F you attitude from the team sergeant about shots. My uh, 
warrant officer, super conservative dude, pretty fun. Um, yeah, so it was, it was just good. So, I mean, we just get to that point and I just, I knew that they didn't get along with their last captain. So I made it a point to really work on that kind of building rapport with them. So it just kind of wrote out, just sent whatever memes out there, had fun. And yeah, that kind of brought us to where the whole COVID thing was happening, where we knew a shot was coming out. One of the first things I knew is that it used aborted fetal cells. And as a Catholic, I was under the, the understanding that that is remote material cooperation. So I cannot participate in that, that moral act unless there's a grave reason for it. Now, my understanding continued to kind of develop as I went on to looking at what is, what is abortion, how involved is it? And I thought because it's a baby that was killed in the 70s, which is the human embryo kidney 273, that is kind of what these shots were to buy from. So we're now in like early 2021, shot is out. I see that I'm the only officer who did not sign up to get it immediately because they were asking and for people to sign up. And I'm like, oh crap, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, right. I tell my team that as your senior raider, which is the person who can approve uh, or, or kind of rank the guys that I'm not going to punish or reward them. I personally don't want to, at least until it's mandatory, we just kind of go on. So I just continued to learn more about it and kind of came to the realization that it's not just the sin of murder, but it's also just murder and also the theft and continued theft of the unborn child's body. And we have no right to that baby's body parts. Um, whenever a service member dies overseas, we should do everything we can to bring their body back to inter it and to properly dispose of the body because the body is something sacred. So similarly with these products from human embryo kidney 273, and what does that imply? That implies there were 200, over 200 attempts to get children, to harvest children at the point when a kidney was developed. It's just barbaric, the practices that they take. And we've seen Planned Parenthood videos where they're selling body parts and it's absolutely demonic. And we need to understand that politics isn't just being nice it's also a good versus evil and i'm not saying that republicans are all good but there is at least kind of like a breach head into it where you know if if uh, rhinos just stuck to the the dang principles we might be on that point but just kind of continuing to cave so um just just got to that point team was getting harassed team sergeant he got it pretty bad from the sergeant major the whole time for me it was just kind of career a lot of people don't understand the pressure before the mandate came out that was the worst time for me that was the most stressed i think i'd been in most of my life and maybe may have had an easy life. I don't know, but it's, what, what did that look like though? I mean, what, what was the implement that you were feeling that stress? How did you discern it? It was trying to make decisions for the team too, and understanding that the team isn't going to get the same missions or we're being slighted. So it's feeling bad for the guys feeling bad for the team sergeant. He's getting brought in two, three times a week, getting yelled at by this arm major for like an hour. I was, you know, getting, got yelled at him by him once, whatever. I just like wrote everything down like a good officer, memorandum for record form, boom. You know, I'll bring that out if needed. Uh, but it's like, you're screwing up your career. You should look for work outside the army. Um, you're not going to recover this from this reputation wise. I'm going to kick guys out of the company. I'm going to put them in unwanted assignments. I'm going to send them back to the schoolhouse to teach. That's not a threat. That's a promise if you lose a mission for this. And it was put in that you're you're not going to fit in if you're not going to if you're not going to conform right and that's one of the issues with the military that it is kind of a ladder climbing process and right now when there's not wars or things that are extremely necessary to get done it's what do you need to do to conform to continue to climb the ladder and there's a whole lot of 
saying the right things or doing the right things and getting the right timeline. And it's a hierarchy that's necessary. Uh, it's competence hierarchy, but there's things that we need to change about it to kind of get rid of some of this yes-man attitude. And we've seen how the yes-man attitude's been ingrained, how morality hasn't been, especially with regards to how this shot was implemented. Because, I mean, before the mandate came out, I couldn't even, I was looking into, how do I apply for religious exemption? How do I apply for medical exemption? I couldn't do it. That's the thing. There's just no protection. They're just making whatever policies they want to try to coerce people to do it to the extent that they can. And it wasn't as bad for me as others. I heard at Fort Bragg, for instance, there was a battalion sergeant major who, in front of a formation, told the soldiers, you can, for those of you who've gotten the vaccine, you can go over there. You guys have the day off. If not, put your rucksack on. We're going through for a grueling ruck march. And that is absolute coercion, punishment. You can't do that. So for officers, it's much more kind of career bound where I would have to quarantine for longer for not having the shot versus someone who is vaccinated for a week or different masking requirements, but mostly just that you're identified as different. And it ultimately came down to our team had a JSET, which is a joint combined exercise training, a six week trip to a foreign country to do training. And this is extremely important to get these trips. As an officer, you have maybe 18 months, 24 months as a team leader to really make your mark and move on forward. And as an officer, that's it. Unless you go Delta, which, sorry, that's not me, man. I mean, some crazy dudes, hats off to you. That's it as far as like deployments, that kind of experience. Then you're going to be a company commander next, maybe, where you're expected to manage six teams. And if you haven't had a trip overseas, how are you going to oversee the management of those teams if you don't fully understand the capabilities of a detachment? And the first special forces command made it a policy decision where you needed to have the shot in order to deploy. Um, and I mean, before that, even other team leaders started briefing when they went to brief the uh, SOC South, Special Operation Command South. Uh, this is our baseball card. Here's, our, here's all the guys we have. And we're, we have this many people vaccinated. They're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, please keep saying that. So it's other SF, other team leaders doing that to get ahead. Uh, that's kind of the cutthroat nature of we're still uh, very competitive, but we're doing it in order to excel in our careers. So that's kind of what it looked like. And with this, this requirement, we're out doing military freefall training, Arizona. Um, and this policy comes down and talk to the company commander. And he said, Hey, John, I know your team doesn't want to get the shot, but what's it going to be? Is your team going to get the shot? Or are we going to take this mission from you? And I had talked to the guys ahead already. And I said, Hey, sir, I only have one guy who's willing to get it. So I guess you have to take the mission from us. Um, he's like, oh, okay. I think you're surprised about that. <laughs> but, uh, and then I asked, unless you're willing to accept natural immunity, which he said, no, we're not willing to accept that risk, which threw me off, really pissed me off because we're jumping out of planes at 14,000 feet with the oxygen equipment. So what risk are you accepting? Well, think about this though. Were you surprised by how few people were willing to stand up and say, no, this isn't for me? Because it's kind of a contrarian type of group. You talked about libertarians leaving the hell alone. That is my experience with with most operators. They just it's like I'm going to do what I'm going to do because it's hard and because I can and because you can't make me. That was extremely frustrating with special forces because if our main mission is unconventional warfare, which does employ uh, psychological operations and understands how messaging works within foreign countries, within trying to overthrow governments, that I thought they would be able to th see through this bullshit. And my team sergeant, I mean. I love Rob, Rob Green. So you were saying Catholic of the year. He excels way, way ahead of me. Um, you know, seven kids, wrote the book, still on active duty, just amazing man. Um, and, you know, here I am, you know, perpetual single dude, whatever. But you got time. 
working on it. Any ladies watching your show? No, I'll be right. Uh, <laughs> um, so at any rate, um, where was I going with that? No, just, sorry. Totally. Yeah, just the fact that people didn't want to. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you'd my think, team. This is the group of people that looks through things and goes, "Yeah, we're the ones who do psyop, or we have psyops come with us, and right. we put stuff down. We don't fall for that crap." It threw me off. It really pissed me off because, yeah, my team sergeant, he said, this is the only thing they've really made me try to do. Like said, no, there's no other way around it. Usually you get an order, you see if it makes sense. If not, you ask, why should, I, why are we doing this? Should we do this? Yeah, you're, you're trying to look into all those things. We're selected for it. Mm -hmm. And no. there's, there's almost always a waiver. I've never heard it. Like this was the weirdest thing. The federal government did the same thing. So I was in the same boat. And what I knew was, and maybe you can kind of reflect on this for the audience. I always expected the, the civil service would stand up first for those of us that were out there that were going to do it because we weren't facing, you know, necessarily legal action, in which case we were not going to get a, uh, a negative discharge that would possibly ruin the rest of our life. We weren't going to do any jail time on a base, which is a real possibility for disobeying an order. Maybe you can kind of talk about some of the consequences that people, you know, maybe military wide, but also in your particular area we're facing. So... Before that, it was before the mandate went out, it was just having missions taken from you, not being able to go TDY or travel, uh, maybe having to mask when other people aren't able to. Um, there's many who had it much worse than I did. So Brianna Cespedes, for instance, she was Air Force, kicked out, got a general discharge, but she was quarantined for like 140 days in the course of like two years. It's absolute insanity. And this is, you know, a young 24, 25 year old girl. Uh, so for me, what, when you get to, let's say the mandate coming out, I put my religious exemption in. There's the possibility I get kicked out with a general discharge, which happened to the majority of people who were kicked out. They got general discharges. This means that they don't have their GI Bill, that their, their labeling is having conducted a serious, serious offense. So misconduct for serious offense. And this goes out whenever they make a job application, um, that they don't get even certain discounts, like for crews joining the VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars, different clubs. It affects your employment. It affects your life. You can't go to school. I mean, and it's it also is just kind of an affront to your character. Hey, your service, it wasn't honorable. You you did something wrong. So that's something that I faced. Um, I also just, I got out because I couldn't recover my career. I was ironically accepted to teach philosophy uh, and ethics at West Point, uh, but I couldn't move or PCS to go to grad school because once the mandate went out, I couldn't travel. I couldn't move to a different duty station. I couldn't deploy. And if you're a Green Beret who can't deploy, that's you're not very useful. So th these are kind of the consequences that that were faced. And then I, I'm very grateful for my leadership. I know I complained about, you know, one guy a little bit, but my battalion commanders, I mean, they, they really hooked me up. They were very, it was good chatting with them. I mean, not trying to get Stockholm syndrome. You know, I wish everyone stood up to a greater extent, but still tried to set me up career-wise to where I could still survive if I wanted to just stay within group. So for most people, if there's any kind of angst or any kind of want to get people to conform and seeing these anti-vaxxers or people who are refusing to get the shot as, as a problem, it'd be very easy to write your officer evalu evaluation report in such a way to kind of stop your career. And my career was just put on ice the entire time that the, uh, that the mandate was in effect before it was rescinded. Um, so that's kind of kind of the consequences that I generally faced. Um, others obviously yeah, had it worse, were actually kicked out. And with the army, they just, I think their plan was just to ice us out and to avoid lawsuits 
there's so many aspects of this whole whole thing, and you know we're not going to get into all of them, but. I think that the leaders knew what they were doing were wrong, was wrong, and they put out certain statements that make us understand that because they try to explain how the Pfizer shot, which is EUA approved, is medically interchangeable with community, which says nothing about the legality of that, because that's that's another thing. So we're getting back to summer of 2021, August. My team on that one shot is FDA approved, the other is not, and the FDA approved shot is not available. SecDef said he's ordering us to take an FDA-approved shot. If there's none available, you can fill it with an EUA. Well, if there's no FDA-approved shot, that makes the order illegal. I already made my mind up to get a religious exemption, so not as big a deal. But when we got counseled, <laughs> and we actually got counseled in the middle of the woods, it's, it's absolute insanity. We're doing a two-week training exercise in Louisiana. It's the Joint Readiness Training Center. And... As Green Berets were behind enemy lines, you know, out in the woods, you have like a 12 hour break. During that 12 hour break, they send a major out to counsel us. What? And I just had, yeah. <laughs> How did that go over? The guys were not very happy. <laughs> they definitely gave that major piece of their mind. I called my company commander and I said, Hey, sir, why are my guys being counseled in the middle of the woods? How do you expect them to make a lifelong career decision without the proper medical, religious, or legal resources? Um, how am I supposed to show guys that training to fight and win wars is more important than administrative bullshit when this is happening and that we're just not going to get training value if this is holding over our heads. Um, so I had that conversation and a little bit later heard that we could wait until we got back to seventh group in order to get the counselings in, which frustrated me more because it means that someone else could have made that call instead of the captain in the woods. But yeah, it was very, uh, very frustrating. I don't think I'd been much angry in my life. Um, so yeah, yeah, we get back and then we just have a conversation with the doctors about medical exemption. That's another thing. The military broke their own medical policy. So why did we send this letter? I mean, let's tie it back into the declaration of military accountability because military leaders broke the law. They didn't follow their own policy. They tried, they coerced us into taking an experimental drug that was not FDA approved without giving us uh, full knowledge of what was going on. You have to disclose what you're giving to the person. You have to disclose that you have an option to receive it or not. It's a Nuremberg violation. When During one of my counselings out, I asked the Fulberg Colonel, uh, have you heard of Nuremberg Code? It's a Nuremberg violation to force someone to take something that they don't know the side effects for, to force okay. them in any way, shape, or form. Informed consent is required. Uh, yeah. I think you cited that. I cited the same thing to the Deputy Assistant Director of Human Resources over at the FBI. And, and it went over about as well as you'd imagine too. Um, I also <laughs> may have implied that uh, he did what the Nazis did and that he might as well call himself a good American, which is also, you know, when you're a civilian, you can get away with saying a little bit more stuff, which I chose to do. Well, I sent it anyway. I sent it anyway. I asked, um, do you think this is legal order? Do you realize that this was to the Fulberg Colonel? You have you're required to do it when you're getting out if you're an officer. So it's like, do you think it was legal order? Realize it requires an FDA approved drug to be legal. Uh, are you doing anything to track COVID injuries? Have you heard of Nuremberg code? So that kind of spiced it up. He asked me, uh, he said too much ideology is bad and asked if I heard of the Crusades um, and said I was going to a dark place and asked if I believed in selfless service and implied that what I did wasn't selfless. So I don't know. It's uh, but no, no, sorry. You're going to, what, what happened with your human resource thing? Um, they, they pulled me, uh, put me on AWOL, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, there's actually an AWOL ability to be uh, when you're a federal employee, which I did not know. I, I knew about it from the military, but I'd never heard of that happening. So I literally was on approved leave. I showed up to a uh, I showed up to a qualification because I carried a firearm still, and I show up at a firearms qual actually at White Sands Missile Range of all places. If you've ever been there, it's a huge dirt patch in the middle of nowhere. I was on small arms range number four, 
which is like 400 yards long, about 100 yards wide of just dirt in the middle with a mountain in the background. And there's nobody for any, you know, for miles. And uh, I went out there and shot with like 12 other people from my squad. <laughs> and then they called me up that night and they said, hey, did you have a, uh, a COVID-19 test? And I said, no, I was on leave. And also I was in the desert in the middle of the, and I was on leave. And I drove my personal vehicle and I shot my personal weapons. And I was just qualifying because I still carry a gun. And they go, oh, well, now you're on AWOL. Uh, your leave has been revoked unless you call if you're yeah, and our and my my fight was this. I obviously wasn't going to get the shot either, and I did that up front. But the fun thing for me was is they said they gave me an alternative. The alternative was compliance by taking the emergency use authorization test every seventy two hours. Now, my my answer to them was pretty straightforward. You might find this very amusing. I said, "Look, I've been a paramedic for over a decade. I have a top secret clearance with an SCI qualification, and uh, you know I've done the polygraphs. So if you can't trust me to stay at home with the two hundred and forty hours of sick leave when I have the sniffles." I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to take a test when I have no symptoms because I know yeah. medically and professionally that that's irrelevant. Like that's never been done before. We don't take prophylactic yeah. nasal swabs, particularly with something because there's things like ethylene oxide. And there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you don't do it. I know guys that have nosebleeds now every day because they did it all the time for travel. And it's like, no, I'm not doing that. You're crazy. And, and you won't lose yeah. your job over it. That's the other funny thing. Like someone's got to draw a line. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't, I was not as aware of all the scientific things for me. It's like these shots, baby, dead babies, I'm not trying to, you know, be involved, murder and, and, uh, theft of baby. So that, so I didn't necessarily put up the fight for the, the nasal swab. So I got the brain scrape every now and then. Every two hours? No, no. I mean, so here's the nice thing is that being in SF, like, yeah, things were stupid, but it was more of a career kind of risk. Guys weren't like treating me differently weren't necessary. I mean, did they have masking rules? Sure. Did I, did anyone follow them? No, absolutely not. And similar with testing too. I, I think I talked to one doctor and he's like, yeah, man, if they, if it comes to that, I'm just going to ask you have symptoms and you say, no, you're good. All right. Solid. You know, so you can still get around a lot of this kind of stupid stuff, but still we have a sign that says diversity is our readiness. Equal opportunity is our comment multiplier or something like that. So, you know, wokeness, it's infiltrating <laughs> seventh group logo at the bottom. Um, the whole thing was so dumb. Yeah. And and what does that do to military readiness from what you saw? Well, uh, it results in a lot of uh, not so happy command climate surveys when your boss is a transgender uh, major or someone with psychological issues. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of faith and confidence that if the person doesn't know, uh, you know, what's between their legs, that they're going to make the right uh, combat decisions. Um, so it, it definitely hurts hurts morale. And I know we were nervous about Women coming into special forces as well. I got through iBullock before women were in the infantry. Went to some women were in ranger school too. Um, but it we need to focus on competence. Like seriously, that it just needs to be a competence focused thing. And I don't think that most Americans are that racist. I think we just kind of got over it. Um, that we got through the nineties, we have you know, great jokes, people like Dave Chappelle's hilarious, other folks are hilarious, we make fun of each other, whatever, we move forward. And you just get along. Like I got along with everybody. Like it doesn't, who, who freaking cares? Just get your shit done, get your job done. Stop, fo stop focusing on it. Stop talking about it. It doesn't help. And I hate too. We had Sergeant major of, um, of SOCOM comes to seventh group and it says, yeah, this is a great unit. They, uh, are totally diverse and they don't sacrifice anything. It's like, yeah, we have a lot of Hispanics cause we speak Spanish. Like, that's it. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. So it's just really stupid. We need to 
focus on things that actually matter instead of all this kind of nonsense bullshit. I mean, that reminds me too. Yeah, Sekdef, he was AWOL, sick, whatever it is, in the hospital, didn't show up. My fear for this right now uh, is that congressmen are going to focus, like pinpoint and focus in on him not being around for four days, just like they can pinpoint and focus in on the few transgenders in the military or on some bases having drag shows, which these are terrible, terrible things. But the larger readiness issue is kicking out all these guys for for the shot. So, yes, I'd say bring it up, but don't lose sight of all the wrong things that SECDEP has done. Don't go try to impeach him for this. Let's go ahead and focus on the Afghan war. Let's focus on the worst recruiting we've had since Vietnam. It's just absolutely atrocious. And at some point, if you're looking at the patterns, you have to really think that the Biden administration isn't just doing it incompetently, that they are actually out there to destroy America, to cause certain emergencies and problems and to fix them with other problems that are going to continue to consolidate power for themselves and for, I don't know, global elites. So you said you're 35, is that right? Yes. And you're fit, you're still capable, you got kicked out, you know, mid-career or you chose to leave, but they gave you a decision for all your chips and you made the one you made. Um, young guys still yep. probably got to look to you and see what's on your wall and know your background and say, hey man, should I join the military? I'm 17, I'm 18, I'm 19 years old. You know, I'm full of piss and vinegar. I want to go you know, kill people and not get, uh, not go to jail for it. What, what do you think? Is this the career for me? Can you recommend it to people? Yeah. So this is what I've actually told some folks and I, I have people reach out. They're welcome to, they can find me on the website, whatever. Um, uh, so yeah, I, what I tell people is that we're made to, and it's very Ignatian just off of the, the summer retreat is that we're made to praise reverence and serve God our Lord. And by this means to save our soul. And everything is a means to that end. And if you think that military service is something that you want to do, something you'll enjoy and will help further you as a person, then it's something you should consider. However, you need to understand and know that you're going to go through some challenges that you shouldn't have to in the military. But life isn't about avoiding those challenges. It's about doing the right thing no matter what in whatever situation. So know yourself and understand what those challenges are going to be and have those limits. We can't just avoid certain areas and we can't give up the military as an institution to be another three letter institution to be co-opted by the left. We already got enough feds trying to shit. I think we just had a holiday for it. You know, uh, <laughs> they're trying to co-opt Epiphany. Sorry, Epiphany wins. It's there forever. Uh, but turns out. Yeah. So I, I would still encourage a person to consider it. Now, if there's something that is morally objectionable to you, period, that's a requirement. So if the COVID shot were around, I'd say don't join at all until this is gone. If you can also wait until um, Biden is not president, that would even be even better because, yeah, there's some concern about how these leaders are going to take care of service members because they aren't. They don't care. It, it just shows that they don't care, that there's been whistleblower reports that the injuries that people, I mean, the vaccine injuries, I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't focus on it too much, but there are people who've been seriously messed up by this. And we hear in special forces about somebody who dives in the combat dive qualification course, where you have to be extremely fit to go there or a maritime assessment course, which is a prereq for dive school. It's just, it makes you question, it makes you guess, and there needs to be full accountability investigations into that. So since getting out of the military in July, as far as pursuit, I've, I've kind of felt that God's really providentially put me in this position because I get out in July 1, I do an eight-day Ignatian retreat, July 12th through 20th. So for people who don't know what that means, that is a eight-day of silence. You pray five holy hours a day. So you're sitting in a chapel or somewhere, 
meditating on some aspect of scripture, spending half hour to an hour talking to a priest. And he's helping you to review your prayer for the day. You're offering up decisions to God. And I went there wondering, you know what, God? I spent time in seminary. I still love you. I still want to serve you. What do you want from me? Do you want me to go back to seminary? What do you want me to be involved in? So trying to offer that up to him. And then on the feast day of St. Ignatius, which is July 31st, is when my first op-ed was published. And that led to getting a lot of interviews. So now nearly 40 interviews and then going up to D.C. and trying to work with different congressmen. Um, that's that's kind of been just kind of this mission that I've seen God put me in. Now, I don't want to be a perpetual unemployed dude that just does this, you know, like trying to find my place in life. But I do think that fighting for my country is certainly something God's called me to do. But working with Congress, it's been such a pain because the two things that we're trying, I've been trying to get done, and this is why we have this letter go out, I'm trying to get amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act, which is the annual budget that allows the military to continue funding. And that's where you would be able to put in things such as bringing service members back in, elevating their discharge statuses to honorable giving them back pay, giving them time allotted for uh, time they've been out of service. These things weren't done. They just weren't done. This last NDAA was absolute trash. Republicans are not negotiating. If they negotiate like Democrats, we'd get a whole lot more done. And it's extremely frustrating. Um, and it seems like they just, they're just they more concerned about staying in power than they are about getting shit done. Santos, you might think like, okay, you know, weird stuff, whatever. I don't know, man. Wasn't, wasn't convicted yet. And that's an extra vote we have. So let's hang on to him. And hey, McCarthy, if you're going to vote to get out of him, maybe you don't quit. <laughs> you know, like we're strengthening the majority here. So it, it's just absolute. I think a lot of these folks don't realize it's a good versus evil or that civilizations don't last forever. So that's, I'm going on so many tangents, but so amendments is one piece and then hearings is another. So I've been trying to push for congressional hearings, House Armed Service Committee, COVID Select, weaponization of the federal government. And this, these stories need to be heard. Mine, very mild. A lot of people had it way worse. But read Rob Green's book. Amazing. Defending the Constitution Behind Enemy Lines. Um, check out the website, too, uh, which is militaryaccountability.com. That has links for the book. That has our declaration as well. It has a petition people can sign. But educating yourself on what happened in the military just shows how much accountability is needed. That people broke the law. They committed wrongs. There's not going to be trust until people are held accountable. And we wrote the Declaration of Military Accountability because I've gone up to D.C. a couple of times. I've been talking to so many different staffers. We haven't even gotten a regional hearing. I think there was maybe last spring some hearing with the millipers or something. I don't know what happened of that. I don't want to hear SECDAF getting yelled at about trainees in the military again. I want to hear him yelled at about the freaking Afghan withdrawal. I want to hear him yelled at about kicking out 8,000 dudes. Did he know... He did know, but let's talk about it. The FDA UA distinction. What kind of what kind of information did he have about people being injured from this shot? What did he know about the religious exemption process being blatant, uh, blatantly denied? And what kind of coercive measures was he telling his generals to employ in order to the? I mean, the FDA approved shots called community. It might as well be called conformity because that's all they were worried about is just getting people to conform. Yeah. So, anyway. I'm, I'm behind all of those ideas. I'd like to see that done for the civilian service as well. I think the military probably had a much rougher go of it, uh, which is why we haven't heard so much about it until now. Let's talk about the uh, the declaration. We'll wrap it up with this. The Declaration for Military Accountability. What was it modeled on? What was the purpose of it? What are you guys demanding out of this particular document? And uh, and where, where can people support it? 
So Rob Green is the one who wrote it. So he is an active duty 05, uh, father of seven, Catholic, solid dude. Um, so he's the one who drafted it. And there were a lot of people who got, who put input into it. I didn't put as much input, but was, you know, involved in kind of earlier process or known about it. So had 231 of us sign it. And it basically says that uh, this government, it doesn't work without a moral people. And that these military leaders broke the law and they need to be held accountable for it. And here service members are still suffering from it. The homeless vet population, people dying from the shot, people with debilitating vaccine injuries, people with financial burdens that are screwing up their life. And they've had two years to correct themselves and it doesn't really get into Congress, but that's part of it is we've tried to work through our elected officials and they failed us. So we're going to get accountability ourselves. So it comes with some pretty strong promises. People might think, Really, it's not that bad. If you look at all the wrongs that these leaders committed, taking their retirement pay away is not bad. Bringing them back off of retirement in order to put them through a court martial. Hey, if you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to worry about. And we are all about accountability. If we are wrong for some reason, which we're not, but if we're wrong for some reason and you're innocent, that's great. And this isn't about let's just fire everybody who did it wrong. Because unfortunately, if there's sort of a test, the whole military failed. As much as I'm upset with the top leaders, I'm upset with these middle level managers too who needed to just do the right thing. And if we were in a Nazi Germany situation, we'd have a bunch of Nazis, unfortunately. It's very sad. So we have these folks who signed. We have about seven folks who are running for office, others who are interested in that. We have um, people who are still on active duty who signed it who are doing that at great, great risk to themselves to sign it while on active duty. And it's just saying that we're going to do what we can responsibly within moral means and legal means. So not calling for violence whatsoever. And it's not even a partisan document. I'm talking partisanly because um, liberals are retarded and uh, Republicans are pretty bad too, but not quite as bad, at least in principle, but you know, a lot of weak spines and shit like that. But this document is not, it is in accordance with the constitution and Rob Green being Catholic in accordance with the natural law. So drawing off of those principles in order to kind of push forward and motivate ourselves. So if you want to support us, go to militaryaccountability.com. You can sign the petition. We've had a lot of problems with the website because we've had people hacking it, trying to disrupt it. And it's just absolute insanity. We, If you post it on Facebook or Instagram, it gets taken off. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> you can't like DM people with that website name. So those are things you can do uh, specifically with that. But I'll bring it back to why does our country suck? Who's at fault for it? You and I are, we're at fault for it. This is a country of we, the people, for the people, by the people. And if that's the case, if you're ignorant about the laws and how the, the government is governed, you need to be spun up on it. If, if you were just kind of, I'm not saying everybody needs to be a news junkie, but there's a certain level of ownership and awareness of a thing that you participate in in order to keep it going. So so yes, sign the document, but do more. And the way you figure out what you do more, I think, is through prayer and discernment. Um, and you know, if you want to help yourself to be Catholic, because that's ultimately what you need to do uh, to get to heaven. But uh, I'll just throw that one out there. People get pissed off, whatever. I'll have the religious debate. Yeah, we'll hear about that in the comments. That's yeah. good. I, it, it's true, though, that what we what we tolerate, right? The things that we tolerate is what we're complicit in. It turns out, and uh, yes. a, lot, a lot of people gave up an awful lot of ground in the last couple of years. I've been telling people, you got to fight your way back up to that line of the sand. Most of us are behind it uh, for whatever reason, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, do an honest assessment of where your ground is. 
you're probably not where you wanted to be. You need to get up in front of it and then plant your feet and get ready to start taking rounds because it's still coming at us. It's not stopping. We're about to see, uh, I think, just another really, really interesting year of of some awful behavior, probably on both sides, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that everybody's New Year's resolution has to uh, be respond to the current crisis that happens. Well, <laughs> you might not plan for it, but uh, go ahead and throw that in your resolutions because it's going to be a wild year. And know what your limits are, know what you're willing to stand for beforehand or you fall for anything. I love it. All right. So other than uh, single ladies who are looking to uh, lock you down, what are the best ways people can follow you and support what you're up to? Uh, my website is johnfranklin.com. And well, so before you follow me on social media too, I would urge you follow Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and life. That is the means to salvation. But if after you follow him, you still want to follow me, you can <laughs> find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Johnny underscore Franks. Um, so yeah, those are ways to support and um, really appreciate it. But definitely militaryaccountability.com. And I'm an individual and we're made up of a lot of individuals who are doing this fight. And it's, you know, I can't do anything on my own. My motto through this whole thing has been Luke 17, seven to 10. And that's where Jesus talks about the owner sends his servants out into the field. And when they come back, Jesus says that the master isn't like, Hey, come on, let me serve you food. No, the master's like, come serve me. And when you're done serving me, you can serve yourself something. And at the end of it, the servants say, we are unworthy servants who've only done our duty. So we're just trying to do our duty, but that's just what we need to do to get this crap done. I can take it. I appreciate you spending the time with us. We'll have some more people on with some different stories. I think all these will tell a broader picture, kind of a mosaic of, of uh, experiences through this whole COVID sort of tyranny that went on in the military. But uh, Johnny, and it's it's Johnny with one N, correct? That's I, what I want to get. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, it was bold, but I don't know. <laughs> yep. Johnny with one end. Johnny with one end. All right, brother. Thanks so much for giving me the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that is today's Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you appreciated that conversation. I hope you uh, learned something new. I hope you have a renewed sense of purpose, if such a thing can happen, on this Thursday, Winnie the Pooh Day. What a weird, what a weird day, January the 18th. Um, I want to say uh, a wrap up. Thanks to my to my buddies over at Four Patriots. They are the ones that sponsored this program. There it is. You guys can go to their website at the number four Patriots with an S dot com slash Kyle. Again, four Patriots dot com slash Kyle. If you want to follow them on Twitter, where I spend a lot of time, you can follow them at four Patriots with an S LLC at the end of it. Someone stole the other handle, and you guys can use promo code Kyle on their website for any number of these things out here. You're seeing the Patriot Power Generator. Probably a good idea when things are cold, when you are looking at maybe losing power like the O'Boyle family sweatshop. Will they be able to run a heat press and allow him to continue to press shirts? I don't know, but it's definitely worth a try. You guys should check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle. They've got the ultimate jumbo chicken survival food kit. Ooh, it's a lot of things in there. There's a lot of sandwiches going on. 168 total servings. Guys, if you're not figuring out how to uh, feed yourself in an emergency, then you are part of the liabilities out there. Don't be a liability. Be a patriot who believes in self-reliance and check out 4patriots.com slash Kyle so you guys can get a deal on any of the number of things out there so you can be prepared for any pending emergency and not be part of the problem. You can be part of the solution. That's a very American way to be. And moreover, let's just finish it up here. My buddy, Garrett O'Boyle's Merch Stop. 
This is the O'Boyle Family Sweatshop. You guys know how to get there. You just go to the-suspendables.com. Just remember to be a suspendable. You have to go to the-suspendables.com. That's not true. You just have to do the right thing. But you can go to a merch store if you want to get some Ranger panties and you want to freeze your butt off. That's an option. The PT shirts are fantastic. They're probably my favorite right now. And then uh, the second most favorite I have is the Last Line Substack shirts. They have the AR-15 that you're seeing at the top there in multiple colors, and it has a quill coming out of the end of the barrel, reminding us that the pen is mightier than the sword, except those times when the sword must be mightier than the pen. Um, it's probably cold. You might want to look into one of our sweaters. Those uh, those hoodies there are super nice. They're real comfy. Do they look like Green Arrow? Kind of. They've got the Suspendables badge on them. Check out the-suspendables.com. Keep the O'Boyle family sweatshop moving. Keep those kids chained to their to their desks where they are working diligently and learning about American commerce the way that people used to. Working by candlelight. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, we appreciate you guys supporting us and supporting the O'Boyle family with this thing and the merch when we see it. I'm going to start seeing it out in public places, and then I'm going to start freaking out just a little bit. But you guys want to be one of those people that's an early adopter? This is how you do it, the-suspendables.com. All right, that's enough. How about a five-star review as we go out into the next next uh, end of this week here and going into the Friendly Friday? This is our five-star review. It says, it's from Check Privacy Disclosure. That's my new favorite uh, handle. I don't know what that means. I like it. It just says, thank you. Five stars. Thank you for putting it all on the line to take a stand. Too many people are focused on securing their comfort instead of doing what's right. We all Oh, a debt of gratitude to the Suspendables for being true patriots. A very kind statement. I think there are many people out there that are willing to put their personal comforts aside. That's what our founding fathers did. That's a real American position. Put your comfort aside. Go out there and do the right thing. Be a good person. Go meet your neighbors. You know what to do. Maybe maybe you're being called to join the military. We'll see. Uh, all of you guys, be safe. God bless you. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.